This episode of Feminists Without Mystique is brought to you by Summer in the City by Lori Wilde, Priscilla Oliveras, and Sarah Skilton. Witty, fun, and totally on trend, Summer in the City is the perfect rom-com anthology written by three authors known for their sense of humor, spicy romance, and fresh approach to falling in love. The three connected novellas in this anthology share the all-too-relatable theme of what happens when the highly anticipated plans when highly anticipated plans suddenly get thrown out the window thanks to unforeseen circumstances. For these three friends stuck in an unexpected citywide blackout, canceled plans open the way for unexpected romance, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Lori Wilde is the New York Times USA and Publishers Weekly bestselling author whose books have been translated into 26 languages with more than 4 million copies sold worldwide. Priscilla Oliveras is a USA Today bestselling author and Rita Award double finalist with a strong brand known for writing fun, sexy romances infused with Latinx culture, strong emotion, and complex family dynamics. And Sarah Skilton has earned fantastic reviews and a growing fan base for her solo novels, as well as her rom-com, Ghosting, co-authored with Sarah, or with Sarvanash Tosh under the name Tosh Skilton. Um, so these sound pretty cool, and I am ready for my hot girl, hot reading summer. Um, yes, hot reading you. summer. <laughs> I think you remember that I have recently been dabbling um a bit more in romance novels with my bridgerton series mm-hmm. uh, i mean not my bridgerton series but <laughs> yours <laughs> authored by me you know uh but it's just been like the perfect thing to uh get my attention away from gross people that we're talking about like joe manchin or cancel culture you know apologists or all that bullshit. Um, just so nice to find uh, fun, interesting um, romance novels. So, Summer in the City, like a three part novel. Up. Yeah, Let's check do it, it. out. Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And just a reminder, if you're enjoying us, to rate, review, subscribe, recommend us. It really helps other people discover us. We always welcome feedback or communication via our social media, FWM Podcast on Twitter and Facebook, and Feminists Without Mystique on Instagram. And you can also support us on Ko-fi if you want to throw us a few dollars for hardware, software needs, all, all of the subscriptions that are needed for podcasting. Um, and one positive review that we enjoyed when you're thinking about, oh no, I have to bookmark a whole lot of time to write a great review and it has to be nuanced and wonderful. You can just write us something wild, give us five stars and say something crazy. Like the best ideas did when they gave us five stars and said, these women are the dreamiest all caps. There's also a part where they say, also, the blonde sounds like she could maybe play Mufasa in The Lion King, but maybe that's just me with a ton of exclamation points. This person's living their best life. I'm here for the journey. Here for the journey. 
um, it's just great. They gave us five stars. So I am all about it. We're all about it. Um, I never <laughs> did have a Broadway career. So I'm sorry. Just bring that up again. Why don't you? <laughs> I'll never be a star. <laughs> Someday, kid. Someday I'll make you a star. I want to be queen of the lion. <laughs> Love um, it. Yeah. Well, oh. happy Tuesday. Hot, hot girl Tuesday. Uh, it's a hot girl Tuesday. A hot girl Tuesday. <laughs> Every Tuesday is a hot girl Tuesday around these parts for sure. I just feel like I've read the hot girl thing in every, every single time I open my, like, computer phone media it's hot girl summer so i'm just walking around my kitchen like it's hot girl lunch it's hot girl (laughs) (laughs) i love it it's a great descriptor for anything that you do it feels nice you know yeah it's affirming that's what i'm that's what i'm going for (laughs) we love to be affirmed um with our hot girl antics just being hot all the time hot girl Um, podcasters ooh hot girls hot girls (laughs) Lord. All right. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on to hot girl. Hot girl bullying. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Even if you are aesthetically hot, there's nothing hot about bullying. If you're a, a if you're a bully, Maria, if you're a bully, you you are not part of hot girl summer. You're part of mean girl summer and you know, you should reflect and really I don't know, get on medium and write an apology about it, <laughs> um, which I thought was, was good. So Chrissy Teigen, we talked about her, um, our whole episode, <laughs> uh, and her, her past comments, uh, really fucked up bullying comments toward then 16 year old Courtney Stodden among other people. Um, and yesterday she wrote, um, an apology, not a very long read on medium five. I think they said it was five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that she's apologizing one by one to everyone she bullied or insulted on Twitter. She said there was no excuse for her past tweets, that her targets don't deserve them. No one does. Many of them needed empathy, kindness, understanding, and support, not her meanness masquerading as a kind of casual, edgy humor. She was a troll, full stop, and she's so sorry. Um, she said that she's no longer the person who wrote those things. She grew up, got married, had got therapy, had kids, got more therapy, experienced loss and pain, got more therapy, experienced more life, and got more therapy. So she basically was, um, you know, kind of going on at more length about what she alluded to with her shorter apology, just that she was kind of um, fucked up and hurt people and she sees how awful it was and there's no excuses, but, you know. So, I mean, as far as apologies go, I, I thought it was good. You know, it's like the shit she did was really shitty. And as we said, like... Mm-hmm time will tell and her actions going forward um but i don't know i thought it i thought it held up as an apology what do you what do you think hot girl <laughs> hot, hot girl. girl it's different when you just call someone a hot girl it's mm, i don't like that as much what say you hot girl what say you hot girl <laughs> um yeah i think it was a good apology um she said at the sort of towards the end we are all more than our worst moments um and I do think that that's so important to, for everyone to remember. I mean, she has, uh, what did she say? I won't ask for your forgiveness, only your patience and tolerance. Um, and I think we would all want the same if, you know, there's, cause I know that 
I, I mean, all of us have had, I think just probably like things that if they were, if someone were to bring them up or if there was a camera in that bar at that moment or in that room, it would look ugly and it would look, you know, you would just be deeply ashamed of, you know, your, your behavior or what you said or how casually ignorant you were. Um, like I know I've definitely like had many moments, like I'm cringing to think of some of them and then others, I'm just happy that like, I wasn't tweeting, you know, um, I would, I, I, I also think it is seductive to kind of get on the Twitter train and feel like, Ooh, I'm so edgy. I'm so like, everyone's going to like this and this is an easy target. Um, so not that I, it's, it's still completely unacceptable, but I thought it was a good apology. I think that one thing that like we all need to think about as we call people out and, and hold them hold their feet to the fire rightfully is to also create space for people to be able to grow and move on and heal and continue and like live their lives um, after, after these types of things come out. Yeah, I agree. I had, I had forgiven her with the asterisk that the people who she directly hurt don't have to forgive her but I personally had forgiven her <laughs> last we spoke mm-hmm. um, about hot girl forgiveness and <laughs> I if anything my decision I, I feel more cemented in it by this medium article that being said if it like comes out that tomorrow she like slides into someone's dms and tells them like just says horrible things you know then then we'll have to reevaluate um yeah with the understanding that what she said is true and real and her experience and like going forward she's going to continue to try her darndest to be a better person then go forth you know i agree well said well said um we also wanted to bring up the fact that juneteenth is coming up this saturday june 19th um and the senate uh unanimously approved a bill that will make it a legal public holiday Um, and Juneteenth is, like I said, celebrated on June 19th. It began in 1865 when uh, people who were enslaved in Texas learned that they had been freed under the Emancipation Proclamation. Of course, that was signed years earlier, but it wasn't until 1865 that they were actually freed from their bondage. Um, So, like I said, approved in the Senate, expected to be approved by the Democratic-led House as well. So just wanted to spotlight that and there's actually this new app that i discovered on instagram i'm so hip oh, <laughs> no i know instagram? instagram wow have you heard of the <laughs> new social media platform wow 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 brand new um so it's called uh, miria spelled m-i-i-r-i-y-a and they let you shop Black-owned businesses all in one app. So they have different categories you can peruse. A lot of them will be having Juneteenth sales. Um, so you can download it, share it, and see see what they got, you know. If, yeah. add, it to your, add it to your perusing list. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Good. I, and it is kind of crazy that Juneteenth um, is something that... We just don't, like, I don't think I knew what it was until, 
like a couple of years ago, which is yeah. kind of crazy. I did not learn about it in high school. Definitely not. Or middle Definitely school not. or elementary school or <laughs> any of those. No. Any of the public schools that we went to, which were both we both went to good good public schools. Yes, quote unquote good schools, you know, which <laughs> that's a loaded. Right. Um yeah, but our good uh, good school districts did not teach us um critical race theory or even things like what Juneteenth is. Um, so no. hopefully that'll that'll change. But of course, the Republicans come in hard for critical race theory. Um, they don't. We'll see. But that's for that's another, another uh, day. We're here to yell about Joe Manchin. Yeah, we are. We Joe are. Are you, are you ready? <laughs> Let's uh, buckle up, buttercups. It's not hot girl Joe Manchin. It's just... <laughs> Just Joe. Chilly. Just Joe. Just Yeah. Jojo Man Man. Um, as we all say. As we all we all do say that. We've all we've all said Many it. Many people say it. Everyone <laughs> has said it. Um oh my god, I just thought of okay. I just feel like this <laughs> joke needs like a space somewhere in the world, and I might regret this. I was at a restaurant before we get into Joe Mansion. <laughs> something so unrelated um i was at a restaurant and their tout their water that they serve you in their glass um just tasted like you took this out of the toilet you put it in a glass you put ice cubes in it Mm. and so i ordered lemonade and i look around and everyone is ordering like soft drinks and like ignoring their water like we all know like this water is broke like it is fucked up and the the woman who seems to be like the owner or the manager is that was a really kind woman uh visibly pregnant and uh, also the food there was delicious but the water was like you couldn't get over how bad it was like how are they doing this and so i was like what if <laughs> what if we went over and poured the water on her feet and said your water didn't break but your water is broke <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was the funniest thing. Oh my anyway, god! That's, that's all. Uh, did you get to the bottom of why the water tasted nasty? Or? No. And then Charlie and I went back and forth on it because he's like, "We should say something to the server." I'm like, no. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I just want to like live my life. Yeah. So I already felt weird with the server because I felt like I was being too indecisive about menu items i just felt like i had over i'd overstepped by making any sort of request already so to tell them of this drinking water which made me fear for the safety (laughs) no i wasn't gonna do it um and then charlie's like but what if it's like unhealthy or unsafe like someone should know we shouldn't just like like write a yelp review i'm like no what's gonna happen is we leave we saved the social interaction. You can call back and talk to the manager ah, yeah. <laughs> rather than complain to the server, you know, talk to the manager and mention, mention it. And that way the problem is solved. I don't have to deal with feeling like I'm putting out a server and, um, mm-hmm. and it gets addressed. Got Long it. story short, he never called, but. <laughs> and who knows what's happening to all the people who are drinking that water? Who knows? I mean, we all just had a sip, and we're like, we can't, we can't do this. Um, this is in your suburb for no specific reason. I just want to know so that I don't drink the water. <laughs> Not in Seattle. No, it was we went, um, we went to another. We went to Renton. Okay. For to go to like 
oh God, I don't even remember where we went that day. We've been just, we went to, I went to Ikea and the mall yesterday. I'm exhausted. <sighs> um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I was in rented. The food was fucking amazing too. It was really good. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what is the deal? Hmm. with your water anyway Anyway. not one of our topics but glad we spent a few minutes on that just Um, needed you know yeah that's that is disturbing but not not quite as disturbing as joe manchin and his great segue thank you i try (laughs) yes um joe manchin we're not a fan we're gonna talk about him mr west virginia we talk about his shit with the filibuster and some other bills. First, I'm going to do a little quick, what is the filibuster yeah. moment? And I'm just going to read straight from Washington Post a few of their, a few paragraphs. Because um, we just felt like they did a nice little job of distilling the information. So <clears throat> the filibuster is a Senate rule that essentially requires 60 votes to pass most uh, legislation. For example, the measures Democrats can't get through using reconciliation, like a minimum wage increase or immigration reform. The Senate is required to follow certain procedural steps in passing legislation. When a bill is brought to the Senate floor, any senator can bring things to a halt by speaking for as long as they wish, effectively delaying a vote to end debate on a bill. The Senate can vote to end debate by invoking cloture, another procedural step with a three-fifths majority, or 60 of 100 senators. So any bill that has the support of at least 60 senators is in fact filibuster-proof, and the Senate can quickly move on to the next steps leading up to a final vote. But without 60 senators, remember, Democrats only have 50 right now, the filibuster cannot be broken. So in the modern Senate, an objecting senator doesn't have to actually stand there and filibuster endlessly. You might remember Ted Cruz reading Green Eggs and Ham or Marco Rubio quoting Jay-Z and Wiz Khalifa in the midst of hours long (laughs) speeches that brought the Senate to a standstill. Those moments weren't technically filibusters because the talking filibuster was eliminated decades ago. They were more temporary delay tactics with cloture votes taking place soon afterward. They give a good sense of what talking filibusters were like. Typifying long, seemingly pointless speeches that characterize senators' attempts to delay legislation in the talking filibuster era. So now a senator can simply indicate their intent to filibuster a bill and cause it to be sidelined, which means in the current Senate, all it takes is one Republican to object to a Democratic sponsored bill and that bill is stopped in its tracks before ever getting to a final floor vote. Hmm. Yeah, so that's the the quick and dirty of it. Yeah, and it's something, the filibuster has been really frustrating because it seems like people, politicians just use uh, the concept and um, manipulate the history to sort of serve whatever their purposes are. And it seems like for a lot of um, people kind of institutionalized in power, they're like, they really benefit from wanting to go with like hallowed tradition and the status quo. And like, there's this attempt to kind of make the filibuster seem like it is like just, it was enshrined in the constitution, which it, it wasn't. Um, and the founders didn't create a filibuster. It emerged, this is according to um, the New York Ma- New York Magazine, did sort of a history of, of the filibuster and said that it emerged accidentally. Um, and then it was changed. It kept getting changed. There was no design specifically for the filibuster um, and certainly no design to engender bipartisanship. Um, that was... 
that is not a part of the filibuster's history. Um, and it was never created to specifically accomplish any specific thing. Um, there, uh, the Federalist, I mean, Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers sort of wrote specifically um, about this. And um, now I'm just scrolling to find his, uh, where it is. Um, in the Federalist Papers, um, Alexander Hamilton was talking about um, the importance of of majority having having space and like he says to give a minority a negative upon the majority uh, is in its tendency to subject this the sense of the greater number to that of the lesser number the necessity of unanimity in public bodies or of something approaching towards it has been formed upon a supposition that it would contribute to security. But its real operation is to embarrass the administration, to destroy the energy of government, and to substitute the pleasure, caprice, or artifices uh, of an insignificant, turbulent, or corrupt junto to the regular deliberations and decisions of a respectable majority. Um, Which I just thought kind of like, I mean, first of all, I liked the idea of um, substituting the pleasure caprice or artifices, um, but it just is frustrating to me that, um, and when you look at what, it's frustrating that there has been this sort of fake history that kind of keeps getting touted Um Kirsten Cinema has talked about like what she thinks that um, what she thinks the filibuster is, um, and she just sort of talks about like her quote. She she said um, the filibuster um, was created to bring together different members members of different parties um, to find compromise and coalition. And when you think about our founding fathers um, when they created the Senate. Um, it was designed to be a place where you cool the passions of the house and, and find compromise. And it's just kind of conflating two things, two important things. Like they did not create the filibuster and she is intentionally um, like mixing up the history there. So basically just all to say a little bit of a rant, but just that the filibuster really was more prominently used in the 20th century to oppose civil rights legislation. Um, and that's kind of what it was most notably used for in the 20th century. And now it's, it's become increasingly relevant in our, in our modern conversations, especially as we look at how, how few, um, how little representation the majority actually has in this moment. So that's the background. Dee Yeah. And cinema and mansion are the two demis that are opposed to getting rid of the filibuster. Um, mansions basically said like, <laughs> no fucking way. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in other words, <laughs> will he be, and he did this. So he did this, this op-ed, um, this stupid, oh God, this op-ed where it's like, what is your op, man? I read it and I'm <laughs> And I'm not I don't really have an op. Okay, I'm not into it. This is not a hot girl op. Um, 
So he's talking about like how he doesn't have problems. So Joe Manchin's opposing or not opposing, but he's not agreeing to vote for the American Jobs Plan, which is the infrastructure bill or the For the People Act, um, which stands up against lobbyists and dark money, has like sweeping reforms that would curb voter suppression, um, including outlawing partisan gerrymandering, which is kind of a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of good, good juicy stuff in there. But we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. So in his op-ed, he's like, has no substantive problems with the for the people act like no no issues with the act itself but he's saying well but there's not republican support um so i guess that in of itself means he can't he can't be bipartisan if he votes for this because republicans aren't voting for it which like one oh my god that is so stupid Mitch McConnell has come out and said so many times about so many different things, basically like, I don't give a fuck what you do. I'm not voting for this like democratic sponsored thing, like mm-hmm. r- outright. So like, that's a thing. Also um, Republicans did not vote for the COVID relief bill and Joe Manchin still voted for that, which is good. He should have, but like what's the deal, baby? Um and his constituents, so he's in West Virginia. So part of why he's uh, so very, cons- such a conservative Democrat is because West Virginia is getting just redder and redder and redder. Um, but even in West Virginia, the majority of people approve of both the American Jobs Plan and the For the People Act. 79% of West Virginians um, support the For the People Act. Like that's a polling number you don't see. Like puppies, it's probably at like seventy-seven. <laughs> you know, like you don't yeah. you don't see seventy-nine percent of people agreeing on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and AOC pointed out, like, you know, maybe part of you know the Koch brothers and stuff are very into keeping the filibuster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe Joe Manchin is under potentially under the influence of some of these lobbying groups that are coming coming out against it because his, his constituents are for it he's mm-hmm. voted against republicans before with the covid relief bill um so it's not really totally adding up and i also liked one thing that aoc said that he's talking about the romanticism of a bipartisan a bipartisanship is about an era of republicans that simply do not exist anymore mm-hmm. um and he also, Joe Manchin also said, our party labels can't prevent us from doing what is right. But like, Republicans are literally refusing to do what's right because the other side is the other side. So like, yeah. what are you? Like Mitch McConnell saying he'd block any Biden nominee for the Supreme Court if Republicans control the Senate by 2024. Like, it's just it's this crazy. bipartisanship lie. Like, it's, it's just, mm-hmm. you think that's the thing that sounds best you know to say that you're you're doing this for bipartisanship but it doesn't that that argument doesn't hold up joe no the argument doesn't hold up um and i mean he also joe manchin in 2011 support was supporting ending the filibuster he said that the u.s was quote paralyzed by the filibuster you know, so this was something, so it's not that like he's been this longtime lover of the filibuster in a really consistent way. He also was a co-sponsor of the For the People Act in 2019 when it had no Republican support. So he is just, there is 
strong evidence that he is susceptible to all of the Coke money um, that's coming in to West Virginia and all of the pressure that they're putting him under. Um, and it's hard to know if he like, is he just malicious? Is he pigheaded? What, like, where is he actually coming from? Um, I thought, like you said, I mean, it's, um, and on Pod Save America, they made this point about basically like, it seems like Mansion and Kirsten Cinema they identify as bipartisan. Like they've made that their identity and it's not really like they don't actually engage with the arguments. Like you said, when he, he, he wrote his op-ed in the Charleston Gazette or um, you know his the West Virginia paper, he never actually engaged with the merits of the For the People Act or HR1. Um, he never he never got into those details. And John Lovett said on Pod Save America that um, he make you know he basically makes specious defenses of bipartisanship in the gauziest of ways, but they're not making substantive arguments for they're just creating an identity. And we've we've talked about this before. Identity politics obviously makes everything harder. Oh. Hot girl ringtone. Hot girl ringtone. Um, sometimes I don't know how to turn off the notification on my laptop for phone just can't stuff. turn it off there's, there's too many too hot girl too hot girl <laughs> <laughs> um but they they are um the, these arguments are illogical right and like we we can you can pull apart and and academics and people on twitter like lot broadly you can you can easily pick apart any argument that Joe Manchin makes. It's it 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 falls apart under the like quickest of scrutiny. Um, but it is frustrating. And the guy the guys on Pod Save America came to the conclusion they were like, we have to argue with him inside his worldview in a way that makes him feel that we're that he is upholding bipartisan his bipartisan identity because like we're not going to get through to him with the truth. There have been so many civil rights advocates who have tried to talk to him about the importance of, of, of HR one and of the voting rights act. Um, and it's really frustrating to me that he can't see that he's talking about how important voting rights are. And yet he is holding everyone hostage. Like it's like, he actually doesn't have any values. If his value is just bipartisanship, but he, he is not acknowledging the reality of, of the world that we live in. It's just, it is maddening that we all have to be held hostage by the absolute like fantasy world that he lives in. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's like, it's like, I get it. It's good for us to have a, we need a Democrat in that seat in the seat that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, and over there in West Virginia, like it's uh it's uh, tough and anyone we ha- get elected to that seat's probably going to be a more conservative Democrat if they are a Democrat, but it's like, Okay, so he does that, he gets in the seat, and now he's, like, obstructing Democrats from getting things done. So it's like, how much are you really (laughs) surfing? Like, what are you doing? Um, I am just, I'm not here for it. And it would just be so great to pass the For the People Act. Um, There's so much good stuff in it. People should should look it up but it's you know making it so that everywhere can do early voting no excuse vote by mail automatic voter registration so it's like you're automatically registered to vote when you provide your information to like the dmv for instance um 
all kinds of good. And like I said, the big juicy shit of outlawing partisan gerrymandering and standing up against lobbyists and dark money, uh, just all sorts of wonderful things that a ton overwhelmingly is supported by people. Um, but no, 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 must be bipartisan. <laughs> like, what do you? And what are you? What are you basing? Look, this this is another thing that's very frustrating about this conversation is that, like, it feels like the people who are who are who identify as bipartisan, um, who are holding that above everything else, they there seems to be this weird like they feel like they have the moral high ground like they couldn't possibly like, like no one else. Like everyone else is just in their camps, like not budging, and they are like the reasonable ones. And if only everyone could just come to them. Look, I love the idea of a bi- of bipartisanship. It makes it would make me very happy if like government worked the way it was supposed to work, and you know there was compromise and people behaved ethically and consistently. But that is not the world that we live in. That is not the precedent that Mitch McConnell has set and that he continue he continues to, you know, today, like you said, he said um, it, he was asked point blank if like if um, a seat came up and he was majority Senate majority leader after the midterms and if um, Justice Breyer retired and it was the same exact situation as an Obama nominee or Kennedy, the amount of time that Kennedy had with the Trump term, um, would he move forward with a Biden appointment. And he said, we'll have to see. Which means, and Dan Pfeiffer like brought up this on his Substack, which I'm sure is a tab that I have open somewhere. But he basically said, uh, this admission by Mitch McConnell, again, any the only people that would be surprised about this are people who have been absolutely blind and deaf to reality in the past, I don't know, five to eight years of, of our of our history here. Um, Mitch McConnell says this anytime anyone asks him, it's not like he's hiding the ball, but basically what he's admitting to is that he is there is that bipartisanship is dead. That is what he's consistently brought to the table. So it's incredibly frustrating that this, this guy from West Virginia and, and we need his vote, like we need it. So it's not, um, we can't, it's not practical to primary him. There's just no way. And he knows that he actually would welcome a primary because it would make him look better to West Virginians. But it's a, it's an old white man who took the seat of Robert Byrd, who was, who was a, a racist person um, in the Senate. And he holds this Byrd standard and he, he, this, this, this old, like AOC said, romanticized idea of bipartisanship it doesn't exist. And part of the reason that he feels no urgency is because he's an old cis straight white man who's just has not from West Virginia who none of this is urgent to him because why would it be? Yeah, it's like they when they talk about bipartisanship. It's as if this country has elected these people to office to like truly represent us and that we there is true bipartisanship in you know, in the constituencies that are represented by these people. But it's like, no, actually, these Republican elected officials aren't representing their constituents, like looking at polling numbers for bills. And then what happens when when Republicans get their hands on them? Nothing. Um, So if you're truly in favor of bipartisanship in the essence of representing American constituents and the 
diverse values with which they care about, then you would be voting for these things because we may we disagree on a lot of things, but these are all polling well across the board. So really, Joe, you should be voting up these uh, these bills. And in terms of the filibuster, that's more split than the bills we're talking about. But 51% of the people polled thought that the filibuster should be either reformed or eliminated. Um, so there's there's a little squeaky majority there even. And you know what? If he, he keeps dangling this idea of like, well, I'm working with Lisa Murkowski and I, I'm working with moderates to like figure something out. And it's like, figure it out fucking faster because if anyone else's job was measured on the progress like that that the senate is is actually moving at they would all be fired you know they haven't done jack shit um after aside from passing the covid relief bill which was fully partisan there's been very very little um they don't work together as a rule on anything real um and on something as important and as urgent as voting rights, which we, you know, we can also get into some of the um, just practically all of the different um, state level GOP uh, voter suppression um, rules that are being put in place um, for the midterms. It's really, really scary, really chilling. Um, Joe Manchin wrote in his op-ed, he said, the right to vote is fundamental to our American democracy and protecting that right should not be about party or politics. Well, as Adam Serwer pointed out in The Atlantic, he said, like, you can't, if the vote, if the right to vote is fundamental, then it can't be subject to veto by partisans who benefit from its disenfranchisement. You know, it, you, he, he, like so many people, I would say more leaning towards conservatives, uh, they want the world to be very simple. And like, I think that's the thing with him, with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, on a, on a broad scale for them, they would love for the world to be a place in which it was just as simple as like, why can't we just all roll up our sleeves and work together and get something in the middle, shucks, you know? <laughs> it's like, look, I would like that. I would like that. It's just that that doesn't happen. It's not happening. The people who have been elected to the Senate, we're getting, and, and it's getting more and more extreme, but leadership in terms of Mitch McConnell, the acceptance of the big lie touted by Trump, who's probably going to be the 2024 nominee who has said that he's going to be reinstated in August. And like Mm -hmm. the GOP, I don't hear very many people weighing in on that. Nikki Haley, where are you at? You know, like, where are you when he says like batshit things like this? Um, It's very, it's disturbing. It's myopic. It's, it's, and, and honestly, I think the thing that makes me the most frustrated just from a like intellectual standpoint is the whole, um, I think moral high ground, you know, and or intellectual high ground that the people who think that they're in the middle working towards bipartisanship claim, because it is not hyperbolic at this moment to say that democracy is broadly in peril in the United States. It is all of the different voter suppression efforts that are happening are happening in plain sight. They're, they're um, happening almost exclusively with uh, in GOP controlled or with only GOP votes um, on the state level. Um, there's a great 
uh, article about that, um, I think also in the Atlantic, um, where they just kind of go into uh, different states. Let's see. Yes. Like, you know, in um, in Texas, Texas Democrats told Manchin to cowboy up after they walked out of um, uh, one of the last legislative ses- sessions, which we talked about, to prevent a quorum on super restrictive voting rights, which it'll probably get passed because Greg Abbott's going to probably, the governor is going to probably call a new session. Um, but, you know, in Arizona, Republican-controlled legislature passed a bill earlier this spring that um, would remove up to 200,000 voters from the state's permanent early voter rolls. Um, and then uh, they're going to change who qualifies, uh, which residents qualify to automatically receive an absentee ballot every election. Um, the That's expected to disproportionately uh, affect um, the Latinx population in Arizona, um, in Montana, the GOP passed several bills restricting access to the ballot, um, repealing same day registration, requiring voters who lack a government ID or a concealed carry permit to submit two forms of ID to vote. Um, again, passed without any Democrats. Um, uh, yeah, there's, and, and, and the list, the list just kind of goes on and on and on Ohio, Georgia, Iowa, um, so, and they're all, the, the thing that is um, consistent, though, is that this is all um, Republican votes. You know, of the, of the 1,143 state, House, or Assembly Republicans who voted on these restrictive bills, bills just 12 people voted no. Um, so it's overwhelmingly, almost entirely, Republicans who are voting to restrict access to the polls. This is quite, this is obviously an effort to suppress people. It's not an effort for them to actually gain more voters. It's an effort for them to be able to exclude people and, 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 and maintain control when they very, very much do not hold the majority in a lot of these states, um, and certainly not in the country. Uh, but unfortunately, that's the reality that we live in, and... Um, sometimes I think about how frustrated I am with Joe Manchin and then I get more frustrated with Sarah Gideon who lost in Maine and with Cal Cunningham who couldn't keep his dick in his pants in North Carolina. Cal Cunningham. Oh my God. Because it wouldn't all come down to Joe Manchin if some of those other, because we had a few purples, a few swingy swings up for grabs and most of them did not swing our way. Um, and if we had just, you know, Joe Man, it wouldn't all come down to fucking Joe Manchin. <laughs> yeah. But here we are, and here Joe Manchin is, and it's um, it's a bummer. And he's got in there are uh, people yesterday that were marching on his congressional office, um, wanting him to reverse his position on voting rights, fifteen dollar minimum wage, and the infrastructure plan. Um, said he had representatives there listening to their concerns. So um, we'll see if we'll see if that does anything. But I was glad to hear that there are that there was, you know, some resistance in his in his state to what he's doing, which makes sense because they, they don't disagree. It's like we're who why are we making the decisions we're making, Joe? I mean, God, whose thumb are you under? The Koch brothers. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Those are uh. the thumbs. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's very, and it's very sad, you know, it's kind of like, is like, uh, there are the questions, there's like the question of like, is this how democracy dies in, in the United States? I, I I feel like it's very understandable to me that it would be with these like relatively um, self-serious, self-satisfied, um, kind of sanctimonious, uh, quote unquote, moderates, uh, moderate Democrats who just can't see the writing on the wall, can't see the forest through the trees. Um, There are so many ways in which we can, I mean, we hold power right now and it's going to be fleeting most likely because um, we only have a four seat majority in in the House of Representatives. And most likely just because a lot of the GOP, a lot of states are controlled by Republicans, they'll be able to redraw the districts because we just finished the 2020 census. And by simply being able to redraw districts to their advantage, they will most likely take back the House in 2022. Um, And then the Senate is going to be tough. We're going to have to defend some seats. We have maybe four opportunities to pick up seats, ideally. Um, but it's going to be really hard. And if we have to also be fighting all of these voter suppression measures and dealing with the unprecedented possibility that like the, the administrators of these different elections are going to be, uh, able to decide or overturn elections, like in Georgia, when they, they took power away from, um, Gabe, what's his name, and Brad Raffensperger, two Republicans who were actually doing their job and stood by the results of their free and fair election. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's very disturbing. And it it, it really should be something that if you're frustrated, um, pick a Senate race, pick House races, just like pay attention to um, what's going on on the state level, wherever you live. Um so that we can kind of make sure that people are registered to vote super early, that people have the resources they need to, to cast votes. And um, it's going to be a really, it'll be a really tough, tough, tough midterm. I'm scared. It's like, I've been scared since the election that for these midterms and the more, like the closer we get, like you said, it's just like it's becoming so glaringly obvious all the ways in which it's going to try to be rigged mm-hmm. <laughs> with voter suppression and all that. So I'm nervous. Um, but hey, then maybe we'll have the filibuster. To- <laughs> no, you know what's going to uh, happen is that I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Like this is truly not out of the realm of possibility because – First of all, Mitch McConnell defending the filibuster all the time. And then he's the one that got rid of the filibuster when he wanted to pass, when he wanted to appoint all three of his Supreme mm. Court steals. Um, stop the steal. Uh, the Supreme oh, Court. Keep, he's um, so evil. He's he is so evil. He is so evil. Um, and anti-democratic. All of this is just absolutely appalling. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mitch McConnell got rid of the filibuster like once they're in power and then they just pass oh, yeah. the shit out of things and then there's just we're just done we're just done 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 yeah and then i finally make good on that 
threat to move to another country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to start getting that in place now because I do worry. Oh, my God. I'm nervous. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to raise a child in this. Like, it's scary. (laughs) But. Or maybe I'll stay and fight the good fight, you know? (laughs) But hopefully, hey, maybe we'll just win everything and make all these sweeping reforms to move the future toward a more beautiful green energy um, place where people are treated equally and, yeah... (laughs) Yeah, clean energy and social justice. Yeah. Or we'll see. Yeah, if you ask if you're if you're not for more people having access, more citizens of this country having access to vote, just ask yourself like why that is and that should yeah. you answer um yeah. Also, it should, it's just like, I'm oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I was just saying like it should be, voting should be about like what the most people want, not whether or not your side wins, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like Republicans, I feel like, can feel the tides turning in this country and somehow they're just getting more conservative. And uh, so to actually win, they need to do the thing that they <laughs> were complaining about when it wasn't actually happening, like rigging the election. Mm-hmm. Deny reality and make that like the whole norm. Um, yeah, it's like I feel like if a Republican is calling something out or complaining about something, it's something that they they have been doing. Yes. Yeah, or yes. will be doing. It's just God, they're just like a bunch of little toddlers who got in trouble. Yeah. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. No. And like minor, just like we see you to Joe Manchin's daughter, who's um the former CEO of a pharmaceutical uh, company called Mylan, which is the manufacturer of the EpiPen. And they, when she was CEO, they jacked up the prices of the EpiPen by a lot um, after they got a, basically a monopoly on the market. Um, So it's just kind of like, you're Mm -hmm. sketchy. Um, Also, his wife is... um, was nominated by Biden to co-chair the Appalachian Regional Commission, which is a federal board that directs federal economic programs in 13 states, including West Virginia. She was confirmed. So I'm just kind of like, what sort of sketchery is happening over there? You know, I just, I, I'm I'm not loving it. And I don't do love it. Do better. If someone put me in charge of like the EpiPen, my first, like, I think most good humans first instinct would be like all right how we how do we get it to more people for cheaper mm-hmm. the idea your instinct is like ooh, now we have a monopoly let's you know because people like literally people die when you hike up the costs of epipens or insulin or these things that people rely on um it's just so fucking evil i just god for-profit healthcare no thank you anyway i digress thank you <laughs> It's just, it's just a really, really maddening, it's a maddening thing. And it's frustrating, I think, especially because as, as upsetting as the Trump presidency was, which I would never want to go back to, and it was so, so, so awful, like, oh my God, but there's something uniquely painful about having the power right now and just being, 
everything being bottlenecked because mm-hmm. essentially one man, I mean, there are others, but like, I think it's really mentioned if the floodgates, if he opened the floodgates, um, we'd be able to yeah. pass so much. It feels like no matter who's in quote unquote in charge, like Republicans have so much power. Yep. Um, so ugh, Mitch just needs to retire. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 I'd love it if he retired. Just go take a vacay. Go ha- go to Galapagos. Just hang out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you've done enough, sir. You've done you've enough. Done. You have a legacy, you son of a bitch. You have you a legacy. And just take a lead and go on a nice little trip. <laughs> go on, a, you know, might it, might helicopter ride. With Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Go to the moon. Check it out. You know, it's very on brand for his supervillain vibe. It is. Take a lane, hop on the rocket ship, hop on the super yacht, just live it up. Get out of here. Get, Get out. out. Go have fun. Go have fun. We just want you to have fun, Mitch. <laughs> but we just want him to have a fun time. You want him to have a hot Mitch summer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We want him to have a hot Mitch summer. Yes, All we want. Too. Please, Mitch. Take off some take some time off. Do it for us. Do it for us. You need some self-care, baby boy. Oh. Gross. I guess that's where we end, Joe Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> the natural conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, god damn it. I yeah. Well, that's great. Um. <laughs> it's all great. And now for We See You. All right. For my first quickie to see you. Um, so there is a an animated HBO Max adult series, uh, Harley Quinn, um, in the DC universe. Um, it's They were working on their third season most recently, and they wrote in a scene... Um, where Batman is gonna like goes down on Catwoman, which I'm here for. But then mm. DC said they couldn't do that because heroes don't do that. What? I know. And then they went on to say that it would be hard to sell toys like of Batman if he were seen oh. going down on Catwoman. What? Um which like this is an adult show. Mm-hmm. It depicts violence and murder and seduction and like other like sexy things. But if the Batman eating Catwoman's pussy, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Catwoman is one step too far. Like, <laughs> why? That was, I was delayed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll insert the laugh track later. Um, it's one step too far for me. Like, can we move on from the idea that like there's something extra like dirty or un or like not okay or bad about like a woman or a person with a vagina like receiving oral sex? Like, right. we're not saying like put this in the Batman animated kids show, but in the show where you already have like sexy things, it's R rated. It's literally rated R. Mm-hmm. Why is that the cross? Why is it like oral sex on a woman or a person with a vagina? It's like beyond in any other kind of sex. Um, I like some, someone tweeted and they're like, so what are they going to do? They're going to have a, have Catwoman peg Batman, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm here for. Um, oh yeah, the show is explicitly not for kids. So I do not see how toy sales are relevant. 
Like if a child stumbled upon that show, it sounds like there'd be a lot of things for them to be confused about, <laughs> you know, and for parents to be like, you know, concerned about their child yeah. seeing potentially. But like, I'd be more upset about the violence, you know, right, and the gore rather than eating puss. Just like let Catwoman live, let her get it. Um, and Trevor Noah made the point that Batman's mask only goes to his nose. <laughs> <laughs> it's set up perfectly. I mean, come I on. <laughs> I know the scene is written, but fucking DC says, no, we can't have it. That is we really can't. everyone's loss. I know it really is everyone's loss. Um, it's like when are we gonna get to a point like we have songs like WAP and stuff but like when are we gonna get to a point where like oh we can just move on from the idea that like the sexuality of people with vaginas is like ah no scary but um anyway (laughs) we see you to dc free the puss we see you that's wild i hadn't heard anything about that i know it's yeah I'm processing. I'm processing. I know. Heroes don't do that. Any hero of mine does. Yeah. To me, you cannot be a hero of mine. Without doing that. Absolutely. It's like a core, it's a it's a core competency as far as I'm concerned. It's a core competency. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's important. Um Yeah. Yeah. Man. I know. Man. What kind of message are we sending? Oh my Ugh. god. Kind of us for all and to all a good night. And to all a good night. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. So my keep it. Um, my keep it. My there's a show called Keep It. Keep and they it. Have keep Bop it. it. <laughs> Twist it. Smack it. <laughs> my we see you um, is to Kevin Hart, um, who's coming out like once again just with shitting all over, you know, he's weighing in on cancel culture again, um, saying that comics feel censored and they've lost the freedom um, once attached to their craft. You know, he said, quote, you're thinking that the things you say will come back and bite you in the ass. I can't be the comic today that I was when I got into this. Um, This is, again, just like uh, this conversation is like, you know, makes my head hurt because it's so inane and it's very much like, woe is me. Um, people who didn't have power before are now, now at least feel empowered to call me out. If, if my jokes are harmful, um, Eddie Murphy basically like has, has admitted and apologized saying like, or just basically said that some of his standup used to be harmful and, um, Cat Williams said, like, if you can't do stand up without being harmful, maybe it isn't for you, you know, or like maybe you should do something else. Like lots of comics and um from and from intergenerationally have sort of been able to come out and, and acknowledge that maybe uh some of their shit was problematic or, you know, in poor taste. Again, like we can hold the truth of like, yes, you like legally and artistically can say it, but should you? Is that a funny joke? Is it funny? Where is the laugh coming from? And who are you punching at? Are you punching up, down? Like, where is where is the comedy of the of the bit? Um, and I think there are lots of ways that you can be edgy without being like 
harmful um or or uh, you know a lot of the harmful jokes come from just like basically i don't know you're it's ignorant it's just it wasn't a good joke in the first place um but i, I guess i'm get like per- particularly sick of kevin hartwing and on this cancel culture issue because we already went through it when he um wouldn't apologize um after the like and then was just didn't host the Oscars, even though all they wanted was him to apologize. And he was like, I have. And everyone was kind of like, not really like point us to the apology. Um, Cause he said some stuff about, um, you know, offensive references to AIDS and saying in 2010, like uh, being a heterosexual male, if I can prevent my son from being gay, I will. Um, followed by a joke about knocking his son to the ground. Um, and yeah, he, it's like he said he apologized, but again, like everyone sort of was like, uh, we can't find it. Um, anyway, so also this idea of being canceled is really rich coming from someone who is the highest paid comedian in possibly the world. Like he's way higher paid. Um, yeah, he's the highest earning stand up comedian in the world um, right now. Jerry Seinfeld is the second highest and he's not even he's not anywhere near Kevin Hart. Um uh, he, he, Kevin Hart is worth $200 million at this point. He, uh, is super confident in his work. He said like, basically in this interview with the daily, with the times, he said, um, I say this humbly, but I'm talented as fuck. I'm really good at what I do. So again, he's the highest, he's worth 200 million. He's the highest earning comedian. He's actively working. He has like over 60 movies and lots of current projects. Like he's has not been quote unquote canceled by any stretch of the imagination, but the fact that he feels put upon and like his freedoms are being um, infringed upon because people called him out on some old, like tired comedy, you know, he's still working. He's still a working actor and comedian in, in Hollywood. He has absolutely not been fucking canceled. And for him to continue to, to behave as if he has been is, is really frustrating and it's dragging out this conversation that really I'm fucking sick of because the people who are actually being canceled are people like Nicole Hannah Jones, who was denied tenure at UNC um, after like being highly qualified for the 1619 project. You know, the, the cancellations, at least that I'm seeing, they're less publicized, but they are far more harmful because it's to people of color who have, um, pursued their work or, you know, and, and, and shaken things up by, by telling people things that they don't want to hear about history or, um, uncomfortable art. Um, Aisha Harris, uh, on Twitter said, uh, criticism, she reminded us criticism does not equal hate. Criticism does not equal canceled. Like, you know, you are a public figure. You're making a fuck ton of money and, People are still paying to see your shit. Netflix is still paying. Like you are a working actor. You have not been canceled. Just and and you need to. Um, you won't probably because you're a uh, overconfident comedian and actor. But like, you should really take a chill pill. Um, you need to fucking cool it with this, um, like signaling of cancel culture. It's it's doing no good you have no valid point at all. And I'm so tired of it. So we see you, Kevin Hart. We see you. All right. Moving over to Hungary. I am Hungarian myself. Uh, 
not a proud Hungarian today. Um, in uh, Hungary, so lawmakers in Hungary passed legislation that prohibits sharing with minors any content that portrays being gay or transgender because the supporters said it would help fight pedophilia, um, which there is absolutely no basis. That is such a tired old stereotype. Um, and they're not doing, they're not like prohibiting showing pornographic content to minors. No, it's like anything that depicts being gay or transgender, whether it's a sitcom episode or an Instagram post, anything that implies gayness to them um, becomes a crime. So, I mean, not showing gay and transgender content to minors doesn't protect a single person. Um, it just fosters ignorance and sends a dangerous message to Hungarian children who are gay or transgender. Um, it's, it's one of those cases of like, who are we, who are we helping here? And the answer is no one. We're just hurting people. And, you know, we've been seeing a massive rise in anti-trans legislation here in the United States. Um, and it is disheartening to see that other countries are also <laughs> moving backwards when it comes to that. Um, so we see you to the lawmakers in Hungary who, who passed this legislation because all it's going to do is, you know, harm, harm children, um, who are gay or transgender and other kids who are learning that there is shame with that, you know, and it also, I feel like it opens up the door for more legislation of this ilk, you know, it starts, it's a domino effect and it starts things. Um, so we see you and I'll keep an eye on this to see what's uh, going on and how it's developing over there. But really, really disappointed to see that. Yeah. Really disappointing. Ugh. Hungary. Hungary. Come on, you magwars. <laughs> um, my next we see you is to Eduardo Jordan, who is a acclaimed Seattle chef. Um, and he uh he has two or actually sorry, he has three. Um he's a two-time James James Beard Award winning um chef with three prestigious restaurants throughout the world, but his restaurant in Seattle is June baby. And it was, um, the New York times called it the hottest new Southern restaurant in the country in 2018. And it's a place that I kept wanting to go. Um, but it turns out that between 2012 and 2017, he has subjected at least, um, he's subjected like quite a few women, um, in the local Seattle restaurant industry to sexual misconduct or unwanted touching, um, according to 28 people who spoke to the Seattle Times, four women say that uh, Jordan groped them at work. One recounted that Jordan put his fingers between her buttocks through her clothes during her shift and tried to kiss her on a business trip. One said he touched her crotch and another said that he slapped her on the behind. A fourth woman said that he massaged her waist and a fifth woman said that he, her boss, um, subjected her to an unwanted kiss outside of work. Their accounts, yeah, were from 2012 to 2017 and so uh, 10 additional women said that Jordan, as recently as 2019, made sexual comments, including about their breasts or frequently touched them in unwanted ways, like hugging them from behind at work. Um, the women's accounts were supported by 10 other people who worked there and by two other local chefs and one woman's roommate, all saying that they spoke to the women about the behavior at the time or witnessed similar acts by Jordan. 
So this is just super disappointing. It's an, and I, and there's a broader reckoning with chefs um, in this country and the kind of pervasive sexual harassment and uh, that that people have had to endure um, in the restaurant industry. Um, it's just disappointing to see it at restaurants and with people that we either know or we want to we we respect and we're gonna we're excited to go back to. Um, there was a similar. Uh, workplace misconduct, toxic works, workplace story in the New York Times recently um, about Blaine Wetzel's uh, Willow's Inn on Lumi Island, which is like another James Beard uh, Michelin star restaurant that people come from all over the place to go and be in this inn and eat at this restaurant. Um, Jordan, uh, who is 41, said he that the he denies the allegations um but again like in this sort of this is the type of uh quote-unquote acknowledgement that feels a little questionable he says quote i have never been a perfect person i'm apologetic for anything that i wasn't perfect at or being a human but other than that i think there's misrepresentation misrepresentation of my work environment and who i am uh he acknowledged trying to kiss a coworker while on a work-related trip, and he said that was, quote, not acceptable and a, quote, learning moment, um, but that no one else had approached him with similar concerns. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, man, no one is asking you to be a perfect person. It's just that, like, there's a whole lot of space between being a perfect person and sexually assaulting or harassing someone at work or ever and you know and um using your power as a as a um, lauded chef uh nationally you know award-winning chef um to pressure women into not speaking to you about it and just accepting the type of toxic culture that you're promoting um so yeah disappointing on the local on the local food scene here yet another we see you, Eduardo Jordan. Not going to be going to June, baby, and not going to be going to Willow's Inn, I guess. Sucks. We see you. Always disappointing to read about those. Mm-hmm. Um, a few weeks ago, I brought up Real Housewives of Beverly Hills <laughs> and uh, Sutton Strack um, because she was equating stereotypes about white Southerners with racial discrimination. Uh but the following episode um, was not her. She did do like a Twitter half apology. But the following episode, she did not apologize. Um, she said that she she literally said she doesn't see color. She literally said she doesn't wow. see color. She pulled that pulled that line, wow. um, and she was acting like it was mean to suggest that she does or should see color, um, and just make she her her whole vibe. She makes everything about her. She has to be involved in everything, but also but in like a way that she likes. Like she's just always right, um, but she's actually like very often wrong, as evidenced by saying she does not see color. Um, and for the millionth time, uh, saying that you don't see color ignores and delegitimizes disparities and discrimination. And if you're ignoring, if you're starting off the bat with ignoring race and color one you're a white person (laughs) you have the privilege to do so but we can't move forward we can't make progress without identifying the problem it's like these like anti-critical race theory people who just want to ignore deny and sweep under the rug the accurate um accurate history of this country um 
And yeah, when you say you don't see color, it's just like an automatic like, okay, so you're, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what else Sutton has to bring us this season. But for her doubling down, um, and she was talking to a woman of color as she was saying this too, and like trying to have the woman of color like make her feel better. It was just, it was a whole fucking thing. Um, we see you to Sutton. You are, you're not, you're not cool beans, man. Sutton, we see you. The sun is coming in. I know you're now, you're now drenched in sunlight. <laughs> so bright. Oh, um, Okay, so my last we see you is to West Point High School in Mississippi, um, where two Black students were named valedictorian and salutatorian. Um, But then the parents of two white students, um, after the fact, basically claimed that there was a grade calculation error and um, insisted that the school add their children as co-valedictorian and co-salutatorian, things that things that aren't aren't things in the real world. Um, and, um, this was basically because the two white students were, um, taking less challenging classes essentially. Um, and so the two black students were, uh, had higher GPAs when you weighted them because they were taking more challenging classes. So they were, uh, and and so for me, this whole controversy really makes no sense. And and I, it, it kind of like, makes my skin crawl for a variety of reasons, but just kind of on a basic, like, don't we all understand that if you take more challenging classes, you're going to have a higher, like, and you do well in them, you're going to have a higher GPA. Yeah, and that's they're weighted. Fair. That's how it works. Eight classes are weighted. Right. They're weighted. It's a whole thing. It's like a whole fucking thing that's understood. Um, and weighted GPAs should be the determining factor for class rankings, like end of discussion. If you're even going to do class rankings, which like, you know, why are we doing, like, why do that? Um, but anyway, um, it's just gross to me. The parents who kind of took the time here to just, uh, berate the school over this and the superintendent, because they kind of went all the way up and hearing the whole story, it was like, it has really divided this town in Mississippi, um, and made, um, there've been like lots of different, just like, allegations of racism and the, you know, the, the parents met with the superintendent and they brought like the school handbook and said, it doesn't say in the handbook that you have to, that you do it by weighted GPA. And so the superintendent basically was forced to say, okay, well, I guess because it doesn't explicitly say we will have to make these, we'll have to make these two co-valedictorian and co-salutatorian to placate these fucking parents. Um, And so they did that. And then the mother of one of these, like the, one of the white students got right on Facebook. She hopped right on Facebook and basically alleged that the whole thing was a mistake and that, you know, her, like their, they, her daughter was the real valedictory, you know, it was just, and then it was like disappointing Ugh. and confusing to the parents and the kids who had already been recognized, just like a complete clusterfuck. Like, so the whole thing is sort of gross, obviously. And just like, we see you to this high school for this completely mismanaged situation. And I do really feel bad for just the two students who worked their asses off in more challenging fucking classes and have to share the spotlight with two white kids who's, who had, you know, super, um, energetic is the most positive word I can think about, but like, just like really shitty parents who um, 
we're going to go to the mat for this. It's, it's, um, it's just not cool. And I guess, I, I guess the learning, the learning moment, like on an administrative side is like, God, just make sure you have airtight rules if you're going to do class rankings, like so that no one can come in and be like, me, me, the handbooks doesn't explicitly say my kid just yuck. So we see you. Yeah. What a, what a major parenting fail. Yes. Like instead of teaching your kid like, hey, you did great and you should be proud of yourself. But, you know, they took AP classes, which are ranked and weighted differently mm-hmm. so they're valedictorian and you should still be proud of yourself right. and instead it's like no you must you must get this so i can post on facebook about how smart my little baby girl is now she's the real valedictorian yeah. oh god it's so pathetic it so is. pathetic it is pathetic get that's, a fucking life that's so true you know geez louise um all right. Good thing. Yay, good thing. <laughs> yes, we were glad to see uh, Mackenzie Scott, the former wife of Jeff Bezos, um, who vowed to give away her fortune, has continued to do so. Um, her latest donation was uh, $2.74 billion. Um, and her the thing is, her net worth, even though she's been donating billions and billions each year, her net worth is still rising because she has Amazon stock. Um <laughs> But she keeps she said that she'll give away her fortune until the safe is empty. Um, So she is she's been giving away billions and billions each year. And she's also been um, kind of giving no strings attached donations, which is really helpful. Um, So like with an organization, sometimes when they get a donation, it'll be like, but you have to use it for this specific thing. Whereas what she's saying is like, use it however you think will be the best way to use it. which is great. And she's uh, done a lot of organizations working to com- uh, combat racial injustice and domestic violence. Um, also given a lot to arts groups. Um, so she's been, she's been doing it and like billionaires shouldn't exist, but you know, if I were to stumble into $60 billion, I too would work on giving it all away and I wouldn't give it all away at once. Cause you have to like, with that much money, I imagine you need to like figure out, <laughs> all right, mm-hmm. where do I, where do I put it all? Um, so the, it shouldn't, it, we shouldn't live in a world where it's possible to become so fucking rich, mm-hmm. but we are in that world. And so it is good to see that she is actually um, giving it away. Yeah. Unlike, you know, her husband or any of the other. He's going in a rocket people. ship. He's going on a rocket ship while the world burns, but she, you know, she has given away $8.2 billion in the last calendar year. And, um, there was an article, which I haven't read, but, um, that pointed out today that actually like giving away her money in a no strings attached way is actually harder than you might think. Um, mm-hmm. so I am going to click on it just out of interest. Like how hard is it to give away your money? I would ask. So I would like, like there's a, there's an answer apparently. But I also really like that her blog um, or her, you know, she, she each time she's done one of these giveaways this year, which has been like three times, massive, like billion dollar giveaways, um, she has written something. And so today and, and today it seemed like she, just an extra, you know, her, her her announcement seems to display an understanding that even as she donates through direct action, the action is fraught because systemic inequities themselves need to be overhauled, like um, like you say. Um, she said in her medium post, putting large donors at the center of stories on social progress is a distortion of their role. 
um, me, Dan, a constellation of researchers and administrators and advisors, we are all attempting to give away a fortune that was enabled by systems in need of change. Um, in this effort, we are governed by a humbling belief that it would be better if disproportionate wealth were not concentrated in a small number of hands and that the solutions are best designed and implemented by others. Um, and she, go she goes on, the whole thing is actually just a nice little read, but um, it's nice to see that she's making good on on this um, redistribution of her wealth. We love to see it. We do. Yay. Well, I think that's probably, that's it for us today. Um, Feminist Without Mystique is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/podcasts. Love it. I hope everyone has a hot girl evening, morning, or afternoon, wherever you